A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Everybody and welcome to another edition of the World Football Index Extra Podcast. Uh, tonight we're going to go and take a look at what's happening in Brazil with the end of the leagues there, the Copa do, do Brazil, and, and who's going up and who's going down, etc. Uh, you had asked for more content uh, during the, the feedback, and, and we're more than happy to, to, to give you more pods, and there'll be actually more coming this week also. Um, so, so keep your, your eyes open for those. And tonight on the pod, uh, coming back again to us is, uh, hasn't been on in a while, is Robbie Blakely down in Rio. Uh, a pleasure to be talking to you again, Robbie. How, how are things with you? Uh, yeah, no, uh, things are fine with me. Glad to be back on. No, indeed. It's been, it's been too long since we had a chat and, and hopefully with, with these extra pods now, hopefully we can, we can get it to chat about Brazil more often. Uh, in the future, and certainly for 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 the new season coming in around the Libertadores and so on, hopefully we can get we can get a decent coverage of that with you on the pod. Absolutely, yeah. I'd love to be on any time, any time you need. But just give me a shout. Always happy to help. Always a pleasure, mate. And and, and a debutant uh, this evening, uh, all the way from Chicago, there in in the USFA, uh, Mr. Austin Miller. Uh, first time on a pod with us, Austin. You're very welcome. How are things with you? They're good. It's a little chilly here. I know both of you guys are probably a little bit warmer in Brazil than here in Chicago. Nice three degrees Celsius today here. So it's a little chilly, but it's been good. It's uh, been a good, fun Brazilian season. We got one more week of it. Uh, some exciting matches, especially in that relegation battle coming up. So I think it should be a fun one. No, indeed. And uh, you, you can keep your three degrees. I think Robbie and I are quite happy down here, in the, down here in the warm. You know what I mean? But listen, before we get into it, Austin, I, w- I want to give you an opportunity to be- basically introduce yourself and give us a bit of an idea of what, what you do and how uh, your connections with football and whatnot. Feel free to fire away, my man. So I am a second year student at Northwestern University, which is on the north side of Chicago. I'm a journalism student. On top of my studies here, I'm a writer for the Boca Star as well as Foot and Soccer, which is a soccer blog here in the States. I write primarily about Brazilian football, pretty much any topic, as well as about Stoke City in the Premier League. As well as a writer, I'm also a play-by-play announcer uh, doing soccer matches for the student radio station here at WNUR. I'm on Twitter at Austin underscore James 906 for pretty much any Brazilian soccer news. If it, if it deals with Brazil, I'll probably be tweeting about it. It's a lot of fun. Um, I graduated high school with a couple of foreign exchange students to the States who were Brazilian and they got me hooked on Brazilian football. I was down in Brazil in the past winter for Brazil this past June, past summer here in the States. Had a lot of fun. I'm a Palmeiras fan when it comes to Brazilian football. Big match coming up on Wednesday in the Copa do Brazil, that second leg. We'll see if they can pull that one out. But it's it's been a fun season. Uh, I really enjoy covering the league. I think it's a really interesting mix of 
young, good players who are going to be somebody someday. A lot of guys who maybe aren't ever going to be anybody on a world stage, but can be pretty good players in the Brazilian stage. Then a lot of the veteran guys, you see guys like Ricardo Oliveira, who's leading the league in goals this year. He's 35, who's had success in Europe and now kind of for one more run back in the home country. I think it's a really interesting league and it's a lot of fun to to cover and to write about. No, indeed. And you, and you pass through my neck a little Woods and sadly we, we didn't have a connection at that stage where we could have had a pint. Uh, you, you've been here in Pipa. Uh, hopefully you'll pass this way again uh, on your travels. Yeah, absolutely. It's a place I would love to return to. I had a lot of fun in Brazil. I was in Sao Paulo for three weeks. I was in Natal in the Pipa area for another week. Gorgeous country, a lot of fun and a lot of fun football to follow. No, indeed. So uh, with that in mind, we'll, we'll just get straight down uh, to, to, to the business end of it. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll start with Serie A. Uh, Corinthians this year basically rolling away with with the title. Um, and, and, uh, Robbie, I'm going to come to you first on this one. Um, what, what have you made of the league this year? They say Corinthians and Cheech have have done a, a, a great job. They've, they've just wiped the floor with the, with the opposition and they're, they're they're head and shoulders above everyone. Uh, what have you made of the season? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, you have to to take your hat off to Cheech and give him a, a massive congratulations. You know, he's won the league by a country mile. They're they're 14 points clear. Uh, one game left to play. They, they've won more games than anyone else. They've scored more goals than anyone else, and they've conceded less goals than anyone else. Um, you get those three things right, and you're probably going to be champions. Um, in terms of uh, as a spectator sport for the for the neutrals, it hasn't been uh, the, the most exciting uh, league title race. And one thing, uh, one point we've made on this on this pod before, I think, is that the lack of infrastructure and the lack of, of organisation in Brazilian football means that there's never really been like an established elite at the top. You know, you have um, Flamengo and of course Corinthians who have enormous fan bases, but there isn't like um, an established top four, five, six or what have you that are always fighting for the title. There's always around six, seven, eight teams who are in the mix. It hasn't really happened this season. Um, Corinthians have stormed the, stormed away with it in the second half of the league. Um, so I, I'm, it's actually been a bit, a little bit disappointing to, to watch that happen. But um, again, you have to offer a huge congratulations to Cheech and the, and the team he's built there. No, and as, and as I say, you, you know, they play, for, you know, for, for the slow league that it is, but they are, they're not a bad team to watch, really. Um, and, and Austin, for you, um, what have you made of the league this year uh, from afar? I know you've got a couple of games here this year and whatnot. What, what, what have you made of the league? Yeah, it's been, it's been an interesting campaign. I think Corinthians kind of surprised everybody with how much they won this league by, especially with the way that they went out of Libertadores at the start of the year. thought a lot of people maybe thought that Corinthians was going to struggle a little bit, and then they just completely run away with the league in the second half. I think the fight for that fourth place in the G4, of course, the Libertadores berth, has been pretty interesting throughout most of the second half. It doesn't look like it's going to finish interesting, though. It looks like some Paulo are going to miraculously end up in that position. Mineiro and Gremio have been two very strong sides. At the bottom, the relegation battle has been really fascinating. Uh, Vasco's run to glory, one of the best great escapes ever, if they could somehow magically pull it off this weekend. That's been interesting. They're really the only big club that has been in the relegation battle and probably going to go down. Of course, you had the whole couple of months where Honolginho was doing something resembling football, maybe at Fluminense. That was pretty interesting as well. Flamengo really didn't play a role in this title race at all, which is a bit disappointing as f- from a neutral perspective to have one of the big sides not playing a race. Yeah, I mean, Corinthians running away, that does make the season less exciting. But I think it's been an interesting season. And I think there's definitely a couple of young players that I'm sure we'll talk about over the course of the pod that have really come out as players and have been really strong this campaign. 
And that happens when you follow the league really closely. You notice those guys, whereas maybe if you're just looking from afar, oh, Corinthians won the league by 14 points. It wasn't that interesting. Yeah, maybe on a big picture scale, it wasn't that interesting. But on that small picture match by match scale, there's been some really good matches. There's some really good young players to keep an eye on for sure. No, and, and, and you're correct on that. I'll come back across to Robbie again before we, uh, cause you, you mentioned the, the relegation battle, but I we'll, we'll, want to come to that a little later. Um, Robbie, for you again, uh, and, and Austin made a point there. Flamengo again this season, nowhere really near it. And, you know, the, probably the biggest and best supported side in, in Brazil. And, and, you know, they're just, they're just not at it at the minute. Um, what, what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, I mean, it's the one point they always love to make, that they're the, the biggest club in Brazil, uh, never been relegated for, from Serie A. Um, it's been the usual revolving door of managers, um, as you see so often here in Brazilian football. You know, they had um, uh, Cristóvão was the manager uh, who, who had been at Fluminense last year, actually quite liked him. Um, they then had Osvaldo, who started very well. I think he won six or seven games in a row in the middle of the season. They've fallen away again. I mean, the quality of their squad is absolutely dire. Um, he, he left on the weekend. Uh, he rescinded his contract. He reached an agreement and he's now long, now no longer the manager. Um, yesterday, they were trounced 3-0 by Atletico Paranaese, another team in the middle of the league who aren't, who aren't challenging uh, either for Libertadores, never mind the title. Um, there could be better times ahead for Flamengo, though. I mean, the, the name who's been constantly linked and is reportedly very close to becoming the manager is uh, Morisi, Morisi Hamalu, uh, one of the one of the, the best coaches in the in the Brazilian game. Certainly, one of the most tactically astute. Um, he's not going to win any prizes for uh, crowd pleasing football, but he does get the job done. He won um, an unprecedented three titles in a row uh, with Sao Paulo between 2006 and 2008, and um, and took a fairly mediocre Fluminense squad. Uh, to the title in 2010 before winning the, the Libertadores with, with, with Santos in 2011. So if, if he if he gets uh, if he does take over at Flamengo for, for next season as is as is very as is very much expected, and and the the, the directors back him, uh, bringing a few players of proven quality, then Flamengo could be um, could be challenging there and thereabouts next year. No, indeed, and, and and I'll come to Austin again. You know, there was an interesting match a couple of weeks back uh, where, where, where Corinthians like they they decimated Sao Paulo uh, six to one. Um, you, you know, and and with 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 you know sort of a secondary squad as well. Um, you know, this suggests there's a, you know something that we don't see here a great deal in Brazil is this strength and depth. Corinthians seem to actually have that going at the minute. What what do you make of that? Yeah, they're definitely a deep side. I mean. Angel Romero, who had been just disastrously bad for them, got a brace in that San Paulo match. That match was just absurd. San Paulo was horrendous. Uh, Denise was in goal for them, replacing Rogerio Seni, who's injured and maybe retiring, but probably not because he'll probably play. To, he'll probably die as the starting goalkeeper of San Paulo at this point. Uh, he was terrible in goal. Corinthians really just ran away with that one. Corinthians are a really deep side. But as is always the case, the second you get a deep side in Brazil, there's going to come a lot of teams from a lot of different places looking to raid your cupboards, if you will. So we'll see what happens with them this offseason. I think they definitely fancy themselves in Libertadores next year, especially if Chichi stays as manager. And then, of course, you win Libertadores. There's the Golden Club World Cup, of course, next December. I think they would really love to be involved in that. 
But they're going to have to sell a couple players. They're not in great shape financially. And so because of that, someone from that midfield, Hinato, Gusto, Elias, or Jadson, one of those three is probably going to get sold. There's talks that even Halfie in the defensive midfield could get sold. I think Malcolm is almost a lot to get sold. They're young midfielder as well. I think he's pretty much guaranteed to be sold because they're going to need to buy a striker. Because the thing when you talk about Corinthians this year, it's they were so impressive in all 10 other positions. Their striking play was really subpar because Paulo Guerrero leaves this team in June after the Copa America. He comes back to Brazil, but it's with Flamengo and not Corinthians. Luciano, the 22-year-old, starts as a striker. He scores five goals in six matches. It looks like, okay, Corinthians, they have their man. It's going to be Luciano. Then he blows out his knee. Wagner Lovey becomes their option. Finishes the year with 13 goals, but I got to tell you that 13 goals could have probably really easily been 22 or 25 with the amount of open chances that he just absolutely wastes. It's right in front of goal. He sends a header wide. He right in front of goal sends a little kick just wide of goal, not even on target in front of an open net. I'm not a fan of Wagner Lovey, but he's a championship striker this year. So if Quintinians get themselves a real target striker in this offseason, which I think they absolutely have to if they think they're going to win Libertadores, to do that, they're going to have to sell a couple people in the midfield. But I think they're still going to be a very strong team going forward. And they're probably going to be picked as the favorite favorites to repeat next year. No, and indeed, uh, and you know, I, I have to sort of echo your sentiments and Fagner love. I just how he's a professional footballer is 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 beyond me. And I know Robbie, you you maybe have a little more sympathy for him than I do, but I I just don't see it. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm a, I am an admirer of Wagner Love. You know, being down here in Rio, I, I probably do have a, a slight bias towards all the Rio teams. And watching him in 2010 alongside Adriano, he, he, he looked a, a top player, certainly for the Brazilian league. And I, I think you have to give him credit as well this year. I mean, he, he came to Corinthians. Uh, he wasn't in the best physical shape after being in China, which isn't, isn't the most um, demanding league to play in. Um, he didn't start his first choice. Of course, Guerrero was there. Uh, who Corinthians have put a lot of faith in. He then left, of course, as Austin pointed out. He's now at Flamengo, uh, not doing particularly well there. I don't think he scored since the 23rd of August or something like that. Um, and, yeah, he, he's fought back. He's, he's got himself into shape, and he's made that, that striker's bits in his own, and he, he's, he's, he's been a big factor in them running away with the league in the second half of the, uh, of the season with, with, with 13 goals. Well, as I say, if he wasn't so crap, he could have had 25. <laughs> but, but, but that's appreciated. And, and just before we move into the relegation, Bell, I want to ask you both a question around uh, the, the, the formerly high-flying Cruzeiro, who are find themselves in eighth position at the minute. It's quite a fall from grace. And I know we, we'd spoken about this as well, Robbie, on, on other pods. They, they just didn't have it this year. They, you know, I know that they lost some players and whatnot. And it's quite a spectacular fall this season. Yeah, spectacular, but completely avoidable. Um, I mean, they won two titles in a row. They, they they won it fairly comfortably last season as well. Not quite as comfortably as Corinthians have this season, but, but even so. Um, they then lost, you know, their, their two most, well, three most influential players. I mean, Lucas Silva went to Real Madrid. Um, Everton Ribeiro and, and Ricardo Goulart both, both moved on to pastures new. Marcelo Moreno also left a striker who, um, who certainly started last season very well. Um, they, they disappointed in the Libertadores. I believe they went out in the in the quarterfinal stage, and you know there was the, the entirely predictable but disappointing knee-jerk reaction from the board. Uh, Marcelo Oliveira was sacked. They then made the the, the mind-boggling decision to to appoint you know dinosaur personified Vandalay Luxemburgo, who, who's I think the last time he won a title was 2004. Uh, he took them backwards. It's only since they've they've um, they brought back Menezes that they've actually done very well. They were down 
very close to the relegation place under Luxembourg. I think now under Menezes, they've gone 12 games unbeaten, which is uh, a longer unbeaten streak than they had in either 2013 and 2014 when Oliveira was the coach and they won the title. So they stick with Menezes. I think next season you'll see Cruzeiro back up amongst the top places. No, indeed, and, and I, I would like to actually see that. Um, you, you know, I, I actually saw them here. It was last season, the quarterfinal of the uh, the Copa de, Mer- uh, Copa de Brazil. Um, and, you know, they were it was an, an attractive brand of football. Austin, what have you made of, of the fall of Cruzeiro? Because, you know, as I say, I, I, they were the one team I actually followed them in the season past because that was quite a nice brand of football they were playing. Yeah, Robbie hit it straight on. The firing of Marcelo Oliveira is absurd for them. He's the manager who leads you to two straight Brazilian titles. Then you sell a bunch of players, a bunch of players leave. Of course, it's going to take him time to try to mold a new squad and then the knee-jerk reaction, they fire him. Then not just they fire him, but they fire him and they bring in Luke Zumbergo, who was just horrendously bad for them this season. But yeah, Robbie's exactly right. They've played a lot better under Mano at the end of the year. And I think if they keep Mono, they have a, you know, maybe add a couple players this offseason. They'll obviously lose a couple players, maybe look for a strike or something along those lines. They can be right up there in that top four conversation again this year. I think this is more of maybe an off year for them. I think that's probably the best way to put it. It was just kind of an off year. You said it. They just didn't really have it. A big part of their strategy was to count on Leandro Demion, which is never hasn't really worked lately in Brazil. And so because of that and a bunch of other situations, it costs them. They have a poor year. And then the management just kind of compounds that by getting rid of one of the best coaches in Brazil. I think there's an argument to be made that Marcelo Oliveira is probably the second best manager in Brazil right now other than Chichi. They get rid of him and they bring in Luxembourg. That obviously, as pretty much anyone could have predicted, doesn't work out. But Mano's a good fit there. And I think Cruzeiro could absolutely be sniffing around the G4, maybe even a title contender next year. No, and, and it, it's just, you just never know what's going to happen down here. It, you know, they talk about uh, Europe and, you know, the managerial situations and, and some of the crazy decisions that are made. Brazil can actually turn that on its head and, and make some of the mad decisions in Europe look sane because, because yeah. the, the manager, the, the manager merry-go-round here is just, it's just insane, isn't it really? I mean, team, yeah, teams can go through three, four managers in a year and no one bats an eyelid. Yeah, and, and it's just it's like you know, and I know Vasco have done it. I think São Paulo have done it as well. Yeah, Sim, São Paulo, São Paulo fired. They so São Paulo starts the year with Murici. He leaves. Milton Cruz is caretaker for a little bit. Then they bring in Osorio. He does okay, but foreign manager in Brazil, that's never going to last. So he leaves for the Mexican national team because eventually the axe is going to fall. They bring in Doriva from Ponte Preta. They give him seven matches. They fire him after seven matches. They just said, oh, no, you're not good enough. It's, what is a guy going to be able to show in seven matches? He barely has any time to work with the squad, and all of a sudden he's gone. Sampaolo's a complete wreck in the front office, complete wreck decision-making, and you look at the table and they're in fourth place. It's absolutely absurd, and it's no wonder these teams keep doing this because in a twisted, convoluted, crazy sort of way – it almost worked for Sao Paulo this year. Yeah, but you know continuity. We're told continuity is the way forward. You know, Robbie, what what do you feel on on you, you know? Do you feel if there was continuity of management here and they did stick by their guns? You know, you're firing managers before they even have a transfer window, before they ever have any chance to mold their own squad. Do you feel that that's that's an issue on 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 our impacts, the state of football, and and the poor quality of football that we see is the lack of continuity. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you, I mean, you only have to look at Corinthians, who had, um, who have been fairly, fairly continuous in their managers. They had, they had Mano, uh, then they had Chich, who was there for, I think, three years. 
won it, won everything. There was the win. He won the the Brasileiro, the Libertadores, and the World Club Cup Championship against uh, against Chelsea. Uh, went back to Man didn't quite work out. And now they're back with Chich. But in five years, I think they've only had four managers. I say only in in, in Brazil. That's 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 almost a miracle. You know, um, as as I mentioned before, Murici was there for three straight years with Sao Paulo. Managed to win the title. Um, Abel Braga, when he was at Fluminense, he was at Fluminense for two and a half years. Uh, he managed to build a team that the won the Carioca in 2012, and um, the Brasileira at the end of that year as well. With an extremely strong team. You know, they had an attacking quartet of, of Fred Wellington, named Thiago Neves and Deco, which was just devastating. Um, he lost five games in a row the next season, and, and, and he was gone. Uh, Marcelo Oliveira as well, another example, two straight titles, um, one disappointing campaign in the Libertadores, and he's gone. Uh, it's just you just feel that the boards. Uh, give in to, to to fan pressure far too easily, far too willing to to bring the axe down, and, and they end up hindering their own clubs. No, indeed, and, and you know it, it's it's symbolic of, of Brazil, really, that this lack of patience in, in, in every aspect of life, really, that they, they lack patience unless they're standing in a four-hour queue at a supermarket, and then then they suddenly develop patience. I don't, I don't know, but every other aspect in life, they see, they seem to lack it. Austin, for for you on the same subject, uh, continuity. Do, do you think that it would be a good thing? Uh, we would see a better league if if we had continuity in management. Yeah, absolutely. I think continuity and management in any league is going to make it a better product overall. It doesn't have to. I mean, it's interesting to hear Robbie talk. The things keeping a manager for three years, that's shown to be so successful in Brazilian football and teams can't even do that anymore. Yeah, they're absolutely incredibly quick with the axe on a lot of guys. And then it's not just the fact that they're axing these guys. It's that it is the managerial merry-go-round. They're picking up the same old tired guys that have managed the team three years ago and were terrible. And so they just keep making the same sort of decisions, expecting the outcome to be differently. And that's just not the case. So, yeah, continuity, number one, would be important. And then number two, maybe just a little bit of new blood in Brazilian football would help. Because Vanderlei Luxemburgo should have no business being anywhere near a Brazilian club. And yet that's who Cruzeiro turned to to somehow right the ship. That's a terrible decision. It's never going to work out. And those are the type of things that are really just hindering the Brazilian league from being more interesting and more successful. No, indeed. And, uh, you know, it's a pitiful situation whenever you consider the culture of football down here uh, and the way that these leagues are run and even the financial aspect of it and the debt and, and, and players not being paid. It's, 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 it's just chaos. Uh, but but listen, t- talking to chaos, we'll, we'll move to an area of the league that's actually still alive, which is the relegation battle. Um, and I'll come to Robbie on this one first. Uh, my my own uh, team that I follow there, Vasco, is stuck in the middle of it. Um, but it, it is quite a, an interesting battle as to who will go down. Um, you know, there, there's still a number of permutations that can work out. What, what way do you see it working out, Robbie? Yeah, I mean, I mean, by rights, Vasco should be down. The first half of the season, they looked absolutely dreadful. I think they had, I think, ten or possibly thirteen points after the after the first nineteen games of the season. Um, that one stage, they had more strikers in goals. They had the nine strikers and eight goals. They just looked absolutely doomed. Um, they brought in the coach uh, Jorginho, who came in just before the end of the first half of the season, I believe, uh, has, has managed to to help mount an incredible comeback. Uh, they're now on 40 points, uh, one point off safety with one game to play. I mean, the destiny isn't in their own hands, but, but the fact they're still in with a shout is, is absolutely incredible. And uh, as someone who lives in Rio, I want to see all the all the Carioca clubs in, in, in Serie A. So I'll certainly be rooting for them on Sunday against Curitiba, hoping Fluminense can do them a, a favour against Figueiredo uh, and that Corinthians uh, beat Abaí as well. 
No, and, and well, I, I just hope they make it. You know, uh, for for you, Austin, uh, Vasco are becoming a, a sort of a yo-yo club. Uh, as I say, I, I think it's so many relegations straight back up again. They're not good enough for 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 Serie A at the moment. They're too good for Serie B. Well, what, what do you make of the relegation? Yeah, I think Vasco, what they've done in the second half has been nothing short of incredible. They've had 27 points in their last 14 matches, which is absurd for a team that was sitting, like Robbie mentioned, with 13 points at the halfway point. But what's going to probably end up doing them in is that they didn't do quite enough at the end of matches. They weren't able to finish. Corinthians, San Paolo, Chapecoense, Avaí, four matches. They all give up equalizers after 80 minutes, and they end up drawing those matches where even just one of those turning into a win. That's the difference between safety and going down. It's going to be tough for Vasco. You mentioned it. They're going to need Fluminense to do them a favor against Figueirense. And I think there's two problems with that. One, Fluminense don't have that good of a side to begin with. They've got nothing to play for, so they're not going to be incredibly motivated. And two, Fluminense would probably like to see Vasco go down to Sede Bay. So they're not going to be really willing to do any do them any favors against Figueirense. I think Vasco are going to end up going down. We already know Joinville is going down. They really never had a chance to stay up this season. Marcelino Paraiba, I think he's a really good player. He can hit a free kick. Agenor in goal is really a name to keep an eye on for Joinville. I think he could be a potential replacement for San Paolo between the pipes, but they're going down. Goyas made a game of it at the end. They got three goals the other day, but I don't think they're going to be able to stay up. So I think Goyas, Joinville, Vasco, and then I think Avaí, unfortunately, are going to be the last team to go down. They tried to have managerial consistency. They kept they kept Gilson Kleina around for a pretty long time this season before finally letting him go. But they have to get a, they're probably going to need to get a result at the Arena Corinthians against Corinthians, something that really has not happened this year. Corinthians just one loss at home in Brazil. They don't play this year. That was to Palmeiras, I must add, as a Palmeiras fan. But still, probably not going to happen for them. I think Avaí, Vasco, Goyas, and Joinville are going down. Figueiredo will stay up. And Coritiba, who personally I think are probably the most boring club in Brazilian football, it seems like their strategy is to play as many 0-0 draws as possible. It seems anytime there's a 0-0 draw, Coritiba are probably involved in it. It's going to work for them again this year. Last year they were right in the relegation battle to the end, and they escaped with a nice little run of form. It looks like they're going to do the exact same thing this year. So yeah, Coritiba and Figueiredo stay up. Avaí, Vasco, Goyas, and Joinville go down. No, I'm going to go for the miracle that Vasco stay up. <laughs> uh, you know, I know we need favors and whatnot, but uh, you know, it's just too many times in in in, in recent years that that, that uh, this relegation thing has come along. And as I say, if they do go down, they'll bounce straight back up next year. And it's it's just that they're just in an in between place, and, and and they just need some continuity, and they, and they just need that. You know, as as you both rightly pointed out, they've had a wonderful run of form, but it was just a little too late. You know, too little, too late. Uh, but I'm going to go back to Corinthians again, um, and, and we're going to talk a little bit about Cheech. Um, and and I know that Robbie, I'm sure you'll agree with me that the people in Brazil, uh, the population here, are, are very keen for for him to take over from Dunga who at the moment seems to be sort of one match away from the hatchet every time they play, and, and, and he's hanging on by the skin of his teeth. And Cheech would be, the, the, the as the Brazilians would see it, certainly, the, the, the man that they want at the helm. Um, what, what do you make of all that um, and, and, and that talk, Robbie? What are the, what's the likelihood, in your opinion, of that happening? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. With the season he's just had, there's a clamouring for for Cheech to take over as Telesal coach. You know, Dunga is not someone who's enamoured himself to either the public or, or the media. You know, his, his brand of football is fairly dull. Uh, there wasn't, uh, it was a very disappointing Copa America campaign for Brazil. They went out on penalties to Paraguay, as they did in 2011. 
Um, they haven't made the, the most inspiring of starts to this World Cup qualifying campaign. I think there's a lot of Brazilian fans just counting down the days until until Dunga is given his marching orders and, and someone else comes in. Um, whether Cheech will be the man to actually come in, I don't know. I mean, he's on an incredible run of form with, with, with Corinthians. He's, he's, distanced, he's distanced himself from the, the job before. Whether that's just out of respect to the man in the, in the current position or whether he'd actually like it, you know, who knows? But um, I think if Cheech was, was given a chance, uh, possibly closer to the 2018 World Cup than we are right now, uh, I think I think he could he could give it a real crack. You know, he's um, he's shown that he's evolved as a coach. You know, he, he took a sabbatical and he went to Europe and he studied with with with, with some of the, the the biggest names in the game. He's 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 developed from this kind of defensive counter-attacking football that we saw uh, when they won the Libertadores and especially when they they managed to be edge past Chelsea one 0 in the in the Club World Cup. And they've been entertaining this year. You know, seventy goals, leading scorers in the Brasileiro, and of course. Uh, best of all for their fans, they put six past big rivals Sao Paulo last week. No, and, and in spectacular style also. For, for you, Austin, um, you, you know, is it time for, for, for the Brazilian national team to, to take on Cheech? Or do you feel it's time for someone from outside to come in? You, you know, uh, certainly here in the country, it's very much every, he's, he's, he's the name on everyone's lips here, uh, who, who follows football in Brazil, obviously on the, on the back of this success. Obviously, very good at what he does, but do you, can you see his future there at Corinthians? How long for, or do you see him being attractive? He's, he, he has said he's really not that interested at this moment in time in the poison chalice of the Brazilian job. What's your feelings on it? Yeah, I think it is a really interesting question. I think we can probably all agree, for one, that Dunga is definitely not going to be the coach of this team when 2018 rolls around. He was coaching for his job against Argentina and Peru in November. He got away with that. He got the draw in Argentina, and then they beat Peru rather convincingly enough to keep his job. But I don't. I can't see Dunga hanging around for that much longer. The question is, what are they going to do when Dunga leaves? I think Chichi's happy at Corinthians. I think he's the best Brazilian coach. He's got a really successful kind of program, if you will, going on there. And I think they are one of the favorites for the Libertadores next year. And if Chichi can somehow win another Libertadores and then if he could miraculously win another Club World Cup, I mean, he's an icon already, but he would be an idol with that club. Maybe we can talk at the end, maybe next August. He'll be more receptive depending on what happens in the Libertadores. If I had to put money on it, I think Chichi would be the coach of Brazil in 2018, but I don't feel great about it. And like you said, would a foreign coach be good for Brazil? I think absolutely. I think that would be nice to get a new mentality in there, some foreign blood. But that's just not going to happen. I can't see anyone in Brazil going for that. And if miraculously that happened, if you think the leash for a guy like Dunga is short, imagine the leash for a foreign coach, maybe someone with experience in Brazil, just to throw out a name there, Diego Aguirre. Let's say he comes in as the coach or even Pep Guardiola. That leash is going to be so small for that guy in the managerial role. It could be one loss and done. The public would be calling for his head already. There's not the patience to take a foreign coach, I think, in Brazil at this point. I don't know if there ever will be that patience. So, yeah, would a foreign coach be good? Absolutely, but that's not going to happen. Dunga's not going to be the coach in 2018. Everyone in Brazil wants it to be Chichi. We'll see if Chichi wants it, wants it to be Chichi. I think one name to keep an eye on, if it's not Chichi, maybe Rogério Macali, who coached the U-20s in the last World Cup. They did pretty well. They lost in the final in a close match. He'd probably be the next Brazilian name if Chichi says no. But if Chichi says no, I think the Sela sounds in a big, big problem. 
No, and, and Robbie, for you, how far down does it need to go before the realization that xenophobia comes to an end? You know, and, and you know, we live here, and, and you know, they're a very nationalistic people, they're very proud people, um, and I think that's half the battle of why they can't, you know, grasp the nettle and, and, and move forward. But at the same time, they're very passionate football people, and and this sort of period of of being just totally ordinary, it, it can't go on, really, can it? No, I mean, um, if Brazil is the fiercely proud football nation, but they're you can't help but think they're living in the past now. I mean, they won the, the World Cups in 58, 62 and 70. And they've won it since, of course, in 94 and 2002. Um, five times world champions, more than anyone else. And they, they, they think they don't need the foreign coach. I mean, the, they had the chance before the 2014 World Cup when um, when Menezes left, Guardiola made himself available for the job. And the, the then president of the, the CBF, Jose Maria Marin, made the decision to, to appoint Scolari. So, you know, if, you, if they don't think Guardiola is good enough, the, God knows who they're going to appoint. You know, you, you, you feel like that door's closed, certainly for the foreseeable future. But, you know, you just hope that they're, they're, the people at the CBF, the people in charge of the national side, will be open to an idea such as that to help the side evolve. But as, uh, as Austin pointed out, I, I can't see it happening anytime soon, unfortunately. And do you think Teach would be a success? Uh, in, in the Brazilian national side, do you think he would bring back something or bring some? Certainly, well, certainly it'd be a better brand of football than Dunga, but do you think he would be a success? Yeah, if he's given time and patience, yeah. And if they don't buckle at uh, the first time, uh, at the first showing of weakness or, or potential failure, then yeah, absolutely could be. No, indeed. And, and I'm going to stick with the Corinthians theme here and I'm going to move on to a player that's been touted to be on the move here in January um, to, to the Premier League. Uh, and Liverpool uh, are, are, seems to be a, a destination that's, that, that won't go away, really, in the news for this man, Alexandro Pato. Um, what are your thoughts on, you know, I know there's an exorbitant fee uh, being mentioned. I just don't think this guy's anywhere near the standard, anywhere near the standard for, for, for Premier League football now. Uh, you know, his best days are past him. Yeah, I mean, there was a story published two or three weeks ago in the Brazilian press. I saw it on, on, on both Global Squatch and uh, ESPN Brazil that Liverpool actually had an agreement uh, with Corinthians when Rodgers was the manager. Uh, to bring Pato in for 20 million euros, which is, you know, an exorbitant sum for for a player of, of his current stature. You know, he's, he's got 10 goals this season, but, but only one in his last 10. You know, you'd hope someone of Pato's quality or the quality he showed when he was a teenager at, at Milan, that he'd be setting this league alight the way Adriano did when he came back in 2009. Uh, he hasn't done that. Um, Cheech has made it absolutely clear that, that Pato isn't part of his plans for the 2016 season, certainly for the Libertadores that's coming up. And he's got one year left on his contract uh, and, and to be touting around figures of 20 million euros is frighteningly high for a, for a player like that. I don't think they'll get anywhere near that money for him if he leaves. No, and, and you know, like, but it's, it's, a, it's a typically sort of, uh, you know, being a Liverpool supporter, it's a typically Brendan Rodgers kind of thing. And, you know, you talk about the 20 million euros, it's not big money whenever it comes to Brendan Rodgers throwing it. You know, <laughs> there's a man that paid 20 million pounds for Dejan Lovren. So, yeah. you know, in, in his mind, obviously, I don't think that would be a problem. Hopefully that, that deal would be off. For you, um, Austin, would you agree with me? This guy's just, you know, he's, he's, he's had a very good season in Brazil, but in this walking pace league where it's, you know, the defences are quite weak and so on, the Premier League would be a different proposition for him, which on one that I feel that he's not up to at this moment in time. Yeah, he's not up to it at this moment in time. I think an interesting thing with Pato is he's still just 26 because he kind of came onto the scene at such a young age. We kind of think he's a little older than he is. He's only 26, so maybe there is some potential still there. 
But no, that potential is not going to be seen at a big European club. I just don't think he's going to be successful with all that pressure. And as you mentioned, the difference in speed in the Brazilian game and the top level European game at this point, I, I don't think that would be successful. If he were to stay in Brazil, I think he could become a very successful player. You know, not at Corinthians, but if he were to move to a Cruzeiro or an Internacional, just to throw out a couple club names, something like that, I think he could be a successful player. He could probably even be maybe a top 10, 15 player in the Brasilei down. But Corinthians aren't going to get the type of money from a Brazilian side that they want. And they are desperate to get any kind of money for Pato. Just anything at this point. 20 million euros, that's not going to happen. But even 10 million euros, just something to recoup a little bit of their investment on this guy. That's what they're looking for. And they're only going to get that type of money probably from a bigger European side. I think if Pato goes to maybe a, a Shakhtar or an Eastern European side where there's a good Brazilian culture, and he, I think he could be successful at a place like that. But I don't think that's going to be the end game for him. And sadly, I think he's probably going to go to a, a bigger European club and just not be successful. He's going to bust again and he's going to come back to Brazil in two, three years. And we're just going to really start this process all over again, except with maybe not the big fee paid out to bring Pato back. And, and what about your neck of the, wor- or, or your neck of the woods uh, in the USA there, Austin? Would, would the MLS be an option for him, do you feel? I don't think the MLS would be an option for him right now. I think he would be successful in the MLS. I think a player like Sebastian Giovinco with Toronto FC has kind of shown that, that this maybe middle to lower class player winger at a European level can be a high class player at the American level, can be really successful. And MLS teams have the money. There's the capital there to pay these type of fees. We haven't heard any rumors or anything like that. Maybe there's a team that it, that is going to be willing to say, hey, you know what, we're going to try this whole Pato thing in the MLS. And I think if that were to happen, I think he could be decently successful with an MLS side. I just don't think that's going to be what actually happens. But I think it's a good idea. And if a club were smart enough to maybe take a gamble on this guy in the right situation, I think he could be successful. That situation, though, is not a big European side. I think we can all agree on that. No, uh, indeed. Uh, Robbie, is there anything else you want to add on that before I move on to the next uh, article? No, I, I mean, I just want to say that it, I think it's it's absolutely certain that he will be leaving Corinthians, but I, I think they're dreaming if they think they're going to get 20 million euros for him. I think when he moved there in 2013 and he, he had much more potential then than many people consider him to have now, they only paid 12, 13 uh, million euros. So the fact that he's been disappointing and they've they felt the need to loan him out um, and that they're still going to make a seven, eight million euro profit on him is quite laughable. No, indeed, and 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 you know certainly, I, I I it just horrifies me the thought of 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 him anywhere near a red shirt of Liverpool horrifies me to my core, um and and it's nothing you know I don't I just don't feel that the player is up to the standard um required for that particular league, um even even the lower ends of the league I, I think he might he might actually struggle with it. But I want to move on to the next player who, uh, you know, who's really done well in Brazil this year is Lucas Lima. Um, certainly he's become very popular here um, in, in the country. Austin, for you, uh, did you feel that uh, he may make a move in January? Um, certainly he's, he's, he's on the radar of a few clubs. Yeah, I think Wednesday is going to be a big day to determine kind of the fate of this Santos team as it's currently constructed, especially with Lucas Lima. Of course, the second leg of the Copa do Brasil final, if Santos win that, they are in the Copa Libertadores. And I think if they get into that competition, I think they would think they can make a run at that. They have a lot of good talent. Gabby Gol, of course, is there. Lucas Lima, Ricardo Oliveira has been really surprising for them. He even earned himself a national team call-up at the age of 35, which is a completely different discussion, of course. But yeah, Lucas Lima is as good as advertised, in my opinion. I think he's the best player currently playing in the Brasilia Down right now. 
What impresses me about him is that he can make the distribution, the short distribution, set up guys for goals from that shorter distance, but his long balls are so impressive. He seems to always hit a guy right in stride, right on the run to put him in a position to make a play. The thing about him, though, is he's already 25, so if he's going to make the move, he's probably got to make it pretty soon. If they don't make Libertadores, I think there's probably an 85% chance he leaves Santos in this next window coming up in January. If they make Libertadores, I think that falls closer to 50-50, and he could wait until next August when Libertadores wraps up to see how that ends up for Santos before making a decision. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And I also think it would probably be better for him from a, a personal tactical level to leave during what is the European summer, the Brazilian winter, because then you come in at the start of the season, you get a full training camp with a manager, you get to kind of feel out the style of play a little bit more. Whereas if he comes in in January, he might get thrown straight into the fire and he might not be all that successful. So I think a move for him would probably be better in August, but I think there's certainly a pretty good chance he could be leaving in January. And I think all the big clubs in Europe are going to be lining up for this guy, and I think rightfully so. I think he's just that good. Uh, he certainly impressed me this year. For, for your money, Robbie, what, what do you make him? Do you, th- do you think he's good enough to, 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 to cut it in the bigger leagues in Europe? Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, the club he's been linked with uh, most most strongly in the, the club that, that Santos have already rebuffed twice is Porto uh, from Portugal. So not not necessarily one of the one of the biggest, um, but it's it's a good stepping stone for him. You know, uh, Lucas Silva went straight from Cruzeiro to Real Madrid, uh, hasn't really managed to establish himself there. So perhaps for Lucas Lima. Uh, a club of, of Porto's size and stature will be better at, uh, at this stage of his career. Um, ironically, we, we just mentioned the 20 million euro fee for Pato, which is the the, the sum being mentioned uh, to take Lucas Lima away from Santos. This player, uh, on the contrary, I think is actually worth that money. You know, he's he's only 25, um, a bit older than the, the the usual young prospects you see jumping across to the old continent. Um, but I mean, he's he's got the potential in the class to be a, a a national side player for the next seven eight years, and it could be money well spent. No, indeed. And and, and another player I want I want to stay with you actually, Robbie, uh, a player who is on the move in January, uh, and that's Gerson. 
And I know that we've discussed uh, his potential a couple of times on pods, um, but he's going to make the move to Roma. How, how do you feel he'll do there? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see him play in Europe. This guy is a, a top, top, top-class player. Um, I was at the American after the for the first leg of the semi-final against Palmeiras. Uh, he, he came on off the bench, uh, and, you, and you just see he's one of those players who, who adds a touch of class to a side. You know, he, I, I mean, I said the same thing about about Ganso. A few people did. They made the, com- the comparison to Zidane. When he was coming through, you know, he's tall, he's got that vision, he's got that, that range of passing. Um, and he, he's, he's got an eye for goal as well. Um, I, I think in Italy, which um, which is actually looking a little bit stronger this year, it's not just Juventus out there, it's you've got Napoli who just beat Inter uh, a couple of hours ago. Uh, they're both up at the top of the, uh, of the league as well. Roma have been in and around for the last two or three seasons. Uh, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a big test for him, but I think from from, from what we've seen of him here in, in Brazil and with a, a struggling Fluminense side this season, he, he's got the temperament and the class to uh, to to make an impression if if he pushes himself. He's had a few issues no. with, with discipline, but I think outside of Brazil and away from from some influences, he he, he can he can get his career on track. You know, and, and we have spoken before, and, and Roma seems like a downgrade on the clubs that we were talking about looking at him before. You know, certainly there was Barca. I think, uh, I think uh, Bayern Munich were looking at him as well. Um, you know, Roma seemed like a strange one after all the hype around him. Did that surprise you at all? Well, I think it's just a question of, of, of where he's going to get regular game time. You know, I, I think Roma is a club, and, and uh, idea the way they seem to be he's, uh, built this season, the way they're set up. I've, I've seen them play three or four times. They use the pace of Salah and Jovino up front. And if you've got a player of, uh, of Jason's vision and passing ability to feed them from behind, I mean, that could, that could be a trio made in heaven. I mean, Roma have stuttered a bit of late. They, um, they were thrashed, of course, by Barcelona midweek in the Champions League. They then lost 2-0 at home to Atalanta uh, at the weekend. So they've fallen a little bit away from the Champions League places. If you get Jason firing behind those two, they could, um, it, could, it could be successful for both for the player and the club. No, indeed, but I, I was just surprised at it. Austin, for you, have, have you seen much of Gerson? Um, and, and given given the hype and, and the stature of clubs that were lo- that were looking at him, and, and you know he was he was basically linked with, uh, it was a little strange for me that he ends up in Roma. But I think it could actually be a blessing in disguise for him. Yeah, so obviously not living in Brazil, I've probably seen a little bit less of Gerson than both of you guys. He hasn't impressed me all that much, to be honest with you. It seems like, and maybe this is just a process. <laughs> Of he knows he's in Brazil. No, again, 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 we we have discussed this. He, he went through a very lean phase. I think Robbie, you could you could help us out a little bit better on this. He 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 set the world on fire, and then he seemed to freeze. It was around. It was during the the, the transfer window in Europe, and there was a lot of speculation yeah. about moving and so on. And I say we we had spoke about it at the time, and his game went off. But Robbie, I'll come back to you again, Austin. But just to confirm, Robbie, I haven't seen a great deal of him since then. To be fair, but I take it there has been an upturn in form. I certainly heard that there had been the upturn in form again. He was looking quite good. No, I mean, there's no denying he did go off the boil. But I mean, I think what people have to remember, he was only 17. He's now 18, and I mean, the amount of games they play here in Brazil, you're looking at 60, 70 games a season for someone. To put, to put their body through that twice a week at just 17 is, is extremely rigorous. He did need a break uh, because Fluminese, the, as so many Brazilian clubs are, their squad's fairly thin on the ground. He didn't get that break at the right time. Uh, he ended up getting benched um, in that Copa de Brazil semi-final. He, he came on off the bench. But in, in, the, in the last few weeks of the season, he has, he has turned up. His, his form has taken an upturn. Unfortunately, he's, he's now played his last game for Fluminese. Um, 
he was sent off not not last week. Uh, I think the week before when when Fluminense uh, beat Avae. Uh, sorry, no, when they lost at Gremio, he, he was sent off. Um, he then asked for for early holidays, uh, so he's, he's not going to be involved in Fluminense's final game at the weekend. So unfortunately, I'm not going to get one final chance to see him in a Fluminense shirt. But no, his his form was looking good towards the end of the season, and if he can get himself match fit for for Italy uh, after after the after the winter break that they have in, in Serie A. I think he can hit the ground running. No, I, I couldn't disagree. Austin, I'm sorry to have, to, to have interrupted you there. It's just just to clarify a point because I know that he's he's, he's you know he's coming to Europe. He's obviously going to be uh, you know playing Champions League and so on. So uh, you know just to, just to give people an idea of what's coming. So please continue with what you were saying. And again, my apologies. No, absolutely. Yeah, no worries. Um, yeah, I, I think he has a lot of potential, and maybe it was just the matches that I watched, but I didn't seem to see that much of potential. It kind of looked like he was in and out of matches, and when you have this guy who's kind of touted the way Jefferson was, you know, all these big clubs are looking at him, you know, you turn on the match and you expect to kind of see him put his mark on the match right away, and a lot of times it just didn't really feel like he did that. He just kind of was there, and when a guy is supposedly that good, you want him to be more than just there, you know? You want him to be in the match. You want him to be making the plays, making the goals, scoring the goals, and I just didn't see that much of him from Jerson. And like you said, he's 19. He's incredibly young. He's got a long way to go as a footballer. So to make a judgment on his fate now is probably premature. But I definitely saw some signs in Brazil that worried me when it comes to Jerson. And then if he goes to Roma and maybe he doesn't get the matches and he doesn't find the playing time and he doesn't get into form, I think there's definitely a possibility that things could kind of spiral downwards and it could be a really troubling time for Jerson. But there's also the possibility that he goes and he's just really good. And the reason he wasn't that great in Brazil is because he was always thinking about leaving for Europe. And he was kind of focused on that and maybe protecting himself or what have you. So I think Jerson's going to be really interesting to watch. He's going to be really fun to watch with Roma. I think, like Robbie said, the, the way that Roma plays, there's a lot of potential for him to be really good. But I, I think there are some signs that definitely worry me just a little bit with him. No, and I can understand those from 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 the point of view of yeah, he he did dip down, but then you know to 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 play devil's advocate, he is a very young kid, and and I think at the age that he's had and making this move, um, you know, I, I don't think language will be a huge barrier for him, you know, in in the adaptation, uh, you know, it's another Latin language basically, you know, he he should be able to adapt to Italian quite easily, um, you know, given a bit of time, uh, it's it's not a, a huge undertaking for him, and I, I just do see him. You know, I, I do see him actually even being a success hitting the ground running. Um, I think he'll get an, I, I, I think there was, there was a terrible weight on his shoulders about the speculation of where he may go and, and whether well, he would stay. And, and, you know, there was huge name clubs, uh, looking at him. I, I think he's made the move now and I think his head will be in the right place. He's had a bit of time to think about it all. So he's got to finish the season out, um, here in Brazil. I, I think he's going to be a success, honestly. Yeah, and he might be. And like we said, he's, like you mentioned, he's 19. He's incredibly young. There's a long way to go for him as a player. I'm a little bit more worried than both of you, but I could also see a situation where he's incredibly successful and he's very good and he's one of the top Brazilian players for years to come. I think that's absolutely a possibility for him as well. No, and, and hopefully so, um, but because he, he, you know, he is a nice little player. But I want to move on now to, to, to Serie B uh, very quickly, just just to touch on it and on who's going to be coming up next season. Uh, really, I'll come to you, Robbie. Botafogo, no surprise, really. But uh, I think the fairy story of Serie B this season has been Santa Cruz, and and we had James Young uh, from Minas on the pod uh, a while back talking about this particular episode and and they've actually you know he, he was talking about maybe they'll, they'll scrape 
uh, promotion, but they, they they seem to have done the job in style. Uh, have you watched much of them, uh, and what have you made of it? I have to confess, no, I haven't actually seen that much of them. But um, I mean, it's been a it's been a fairy tale story. I think from the fourth division to to the elite in seven years or something like that. Um, one of the they're, they're an astounding club in Brazil. One of the most well supported. I think even when they're in the fourth division, they were still getting crowds of something like sixty, sixty five thousand. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you I mean you look when Fluminense were champions in 2012. I think their average attendance was 14,000, which which puts it in perspective. Um, an enormous club with you'd, you'd think enormous potential. Um, they had they of course had the veteran striker who was at the, in the 2010 World Cup World Cup squad, Grafic, who uh, I don't think too many national fans will remember him very fondly, but uh, it's probably the biggest name um, who, who's helped them who's helped them up this season. And it's it's it'll be it'll be nice to see them um, in, in the first division. I've never seen them play. Um, I'll be I'll be I'll be certainly booking a ticket to go watch them when they're at the Americana. No, and and you know with that kind of atmosphere that they have in that ground, and and you imagine you know now they've, they've gained the promotion and so on. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a big lift for 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 Serie A to have a, you know a, a, you know Sporting Recife as well have a wonderful following, full crowd. You know the northeast here has really good support for football. Um, and uh, the thought of of this received derby now it would nearly make me jump into the car and drive for four hours to go and see it because because just for the atmosphere alone because it is quite mental. Uh, for for you, Austin, you know, again, do you do you follow Serie B? Uh, have have you followed the story of Santa Cruz? Yeah, I've kept an eye on Serie B always with an eye towards who's going to come up. The relegation battle in Serie B was actually pretty interesting. Ceará came out of nowhere to slip up and stay up in Serie B, so that was pretty interesting as well. But yeah, you guys, you guys said pretty much everything. Santa Cruz being back is going to be a lot of fun. They're a really cool atmosphere, a really great fan base, a lot of passion, a lot of fun. It's going to be great to have a couple more northern teams. Of course, sports, the only team from the Nordeste this year. So they had to travel a bunch in pretty much every single match. But next year, Santa Cruz coming up as well as Vitoria, another team from Bahia. Maybe not as far north as Recife, but also a good side. And then I'm also interested to see America of Minas Gerais coming back. They're going to be a third team from Belo Horizonte. They've kind of always had that, maybe that little sibling complex. So that'll be fun to see them come up. Uh, 18-year-old Hicharlison was their second leading scorer. I think he's a pretty talented player who on a set A type stage could be pretty interesting to watch. And then, of course, you mentioned it, Botafogo. Uh, there really no doubt that they were going to come back up this year. They were the most pal- talented team. They were pretty much wire-to-wire leaders in Serie Bay. Uh, it was a well-earned return. They only allowed 30 goals all campaign. So they should be able to come right back up into Serie A and be pretty successful. But I'm pretty excited about the four teams that are coming up, especially Santa Cruz. I think that's just going to be a lot of fun to see those matches at, at the Ayuda and that stadium with all the really cool passion and fans and just the atmosphere there is going to be a lot of fun to watch. No, and that's part of the reason why I included Serie B in this. What was the story of Santa Cruz? Because I, I wasn't aware of it. As I say, it was, it was James Young who was on a pod with us uh, a few months back, uh, and he told us the story of it. And, and, and so it's a fairy story, really. But uh, my fairy, I don't have really much of, of a fairy story because my local team uh, are relegated. ABC are now going to Serie C along with uh, the other team from Natal here, America. Uh, th- there's one bonus in it. Uh, we'll have our classicals back again next season. But uh, to say I'm gutted this season, it, it, you know, because the, the standard of football has been so awful, I, I wouldn't even pay to go and watch it. Uh, and, and you know, with 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 no classicals involved as well this season, it's been very very poor. So at least the, the one thing, the the, the 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 ray of sunshine in the grey sky is we'll get our we'll get our classicals back. Um, 
But as I say, Serie B at, at times can 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 be a, a funny league to watch. Um, I, you, you know, I, I don't think there's that huge uh, step up in class between between the two divisions. Certainly not. Uh, certainly anything like you would have in England or anywhere like that. The, 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 it's very much more parity between the leagues. And and I can actually see Santa Cruz coming in and, and maintaining that. Robbie, would could, could you see with that kind of home support that they're, they're going to be a difficult team to shift at home? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you picked the nail on the head. I don't think anyone's going to fancy going there uh, and taking the one in front of 60,000 fans. Um, I think they're going to have uh, the passion and the drive that you, you see, which is severely lacking at the vast majority of Brazilian grounds. It's a massive, massive advantage for them at home. No, indeed. And, and you know, you, you've got 60,000 passionate Nordestinos run, running about. It, it's, it, it is, it's, it's a cauldron of noise. Um, it's, a, it's a daunting task, isn't it? It's a daunting proposition. Indeed, because because and I'll come to Austin on this. And I know you've you, you've been to a couple of games here this season. Um, you know the atmosphere in these stadiums can be at times a little uh, lukewarm to call it. Uh, you know, it's, it's an understatement. It's 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 just very. It's a very timid atmosphere, and and the like. The thought of a Santa Cruz coming up with these crazy sixty thousand each week, it, it just it's good news. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very excited. Like I said, to see them back. I was fortunate enough when I was in Brazil. I went to three Palmeiras matches who were second in the league in attendance this year in the atmosphere. It was awesome at all three of the matches I was at. It was even in the middle of their really good run of form they put together in the middle of the year. So I got to see three shutout wins, which was really cool as a Palmeiras fan. Uh, so, yeah, I got to see the better side of Brazilian football. But, yeah, I do turn on my TV sometimes and I see the bad side of Brazilian football when there's matches at the Medicana and there's, what, three, four thousand people there sometimes. Goyas, I don't even know if they have a single fan who comes to their matches, maybe like one or two. So, yeah, there are those stadiums that are just empty caverns where they're playing football. And, and that's not as fun to watch as a team like Santa Cruz. Like you mentioned, they're going to have... 60,000 people in that stadium pretty much on a nightly basis and that's going to be that's going to be a lot of fun and like you said it's it's going to be a tough task for someone to go in there and get three points and I think those type of atmospheres are the type of atmospheres that make Brazilian football great and having another one of those in Serie A well that's just even better for the league as a whole no indeed without it like I only made it to one game this year and that was I went to see Botafogo because it was sort of the biggest name in the league and they were here and then and I went it's just been the football, as I say, from ABC this season has been so uninspiring. You, you wouldn't spend your money watching it, and, and that's a that's a horrible thing to say. Um, but but sadly, it's true. But I, I want to stick with your Palmeiras, and, and we'll 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 talk about the Copa de Brazil. Um, the, the the second leg, I think, is on Wednesday evening. Uh, Palmeiras go into it against Santos, uh, trailing for, by by a goal to zero from from the away leg against Santos. What are your hopes for, for, for the second leg? Do you think you can overturn it? Do you think you can do it? I think they can, and I think they dodged a couple of huge bullets in that first match. Firstly, Gabby Gol goes down, earns the penalty in the first 10 minutes, and then he pounds it off the post to miss a penalty. Palmeiras come back. Brazilian officiating, we haven't touched on that in the podcast. That could be a podcast all on its own because oh, just oh, no 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 I don't I don't have the time here I, I couldn't go I wouldn't put myself through that pain oh man terrible stuff so there's an officiating change in the middle of the second half of the first leg of the Copa do Brasil which I've never seen before Palmeiras have a pretty decent shout for a penalty that gets overturned that doesn't happen no call there Santos come down Gabby goal just a really good play to earn their goal but then Nielsen at the death has a chance to probably put the tie away Put Santos up 2-0, and he Wagner loves it. He's standing right in front of goal, and he just sends it off target. 
So Palmeiras could easily be two or three goals down coming home. Instead, they're just down a goal to none. There's no away goals in the Copa do Brasil final. They're not the more talented of the two sides, but I think they're going to do it. And maybe I'm just being a big biased homer, but I think they're going to do it. I think they're going to come out maybe a 2-1 victory, send this match to penalties where anything can happen. The one advantage Palmeiras does have, Fernando Pras is a better goalkeeper than Vanderlei for Santos. That's probably their one real advantage. If it goes to penalties, that might play a role. Fernando Pras had a couple of very nice saves in that first leg. So yeah, I think they're going to do it, but I could also see a scenario with Palmeiras' form of late where Santos just runs them off the pitch with the talent that they have. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really excited to watch it. No, indeed. And for you, Robbie, have you have you an eye on this one? And what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I was obviously, uh, as a Fluminense fan, a bit disappointed that, that they went out on penalties to Palmeiras in the in the semis. Uh, that said, uh, no no bitterness in this, but I do think Santos will, will go on and win it in the in the second leg. I think Dorival has done an exceptional job with, with that team. Uh, they've got um, they've got a blistering attack with, with Gabriel and, uh, and Giuliano, the, the the two youngsters coming through, um, and I think yeah I, I would agree with Austin as well. If, if it does go to penalties, Fernando Press I would probably say is the better goalkeeper. Although Vandalay has to be said, uh, he's come from Curitiba de Santos. He's had a, he's had a, a very very impressive season. No, would you say it's fair? You, you know, like Palmeiras got the, basically the luck of the draw. They're playing their second leg uh, at home. They're only a goal behind in the tie. You, you know, the, the crowd will be well up for this one. Um, you know, and I'll say with only that one goal difference, it, it, I, I fancy them for it, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, but we've made this point before, I think, on the pod, haven't we, Dave? That, I mean, home crowds in Brazil can be extremely fickle. You know, if, if, if Palmeiras haven't opened the scoring within 20, 25 minutes, they could start to get on their back. And that pressure could, could could seep onto the pitch and into the players, and it, it could actually turn against them rather than rather than being an advantage. I think we'll have we'll, we'll have to see how the first 20, 25 minutes go, but it's not necessarily the the massive advantage people might think. No, uh, well, uh, and that's that's actually an excellent point, an absolutely excellent point because they could turn on them. But uh, you know, you would like to think it's it's sort of the the, the, the cup final. That you, yeah. your fans are going to at least give you forty minutes to get yourself established <laughs> yeah, in the game. So. Maybe I've just been in Rio too long. I don't know what it's like in Sao Paulo. But <laughs> it can, it can be a bitter atmosphere. Well, go ahead, Austin. Tell us. Yeah, I think of the fans in Brazil that I've kind of come encounter with. I think Palmeiras fans are a generally positive lot, especially this season. The back half of this season has been nothing short of disastrous in the league. This was a Palmeiras team that fancied themselves for a fourth as much as a month and a half ago, and they've just completely fallen off the face of the map. It's been pretty bad to watch. They were pounded 2-0 by Corchiba this weekend. They've fielded reserve sides three times now with an eye towards the Copa do Brazil, which is, of course, understandable, and you can't blame them for that. But it's all been building up to this. This has been kind of, I guess, the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, we're going to suck for the last month in Serie A, but we could win the Copa do Brazil, and that's the Libertadores qualification that comes with it. I think there's a lot of expectation on this Palmeiras side, and I think Robbie's exactly right. If they can score in the first 15 to 30 minutes, this match is going to be incredibly entertaining. If they can't and they're just looking for a goal, it could be difficult. There could be a lot of pressure on them. But it's also just a one-goal deficit, and those can be overturned so quickly in a match of this stature. You know, it could take them into the second half, but still all it'll take is just one moment of brilliance, and then boom, they're back in the tie, and it's all even. So, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of pressure. There's going to be a lot of expectation. But I think this is a crowd that's probably going to stay pretty positive for at least the first half. I think we can give them the benefit of that doubt. But, yeah, it's going to be a fantastic atmosphere, and I'm really looking forward to it. Santos are clearly the more talented team, I think. 
but it just kind of feels ripe for Palmeiras. I think Santos had their chance to put this away and they didn't. No, indeed, and, and, and as I say, that that second leg at home, it it it's it's you know it is an advantage. I don't, I, I, in my opinion, I can't see it as anything else. It's like European ties; you get your second leg uh, back back at home. You know, you, you you do enough to make sure that you're not out of the game to get there. And Palmeiras have done that, and and I just think they'll just it may go to penalties, as you well said. It could be as close as that, but I just see them maybe. I don't. I think it's going to be a good game. Um, I, I'm, I'm certainly I'm looking forward to seeing it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna throw the floor open to you before we go to the uh, the WFI Top 100 picks. Is there anything else, Robbie? First of all, you you'd like to like to discuss or uh, anything you'd like to say that we maybe haven't covered already? Well, I mean, just uh, on a, on a personal note, as a, as a Fluminense fan, I'd, I'd just like to, to to bring to your attention how disappointing it was their second half of the season and their collapse and the the the, the absolutely baffling decision of, of Mario Bittencourt who, who's running for the uh, who's running for the presidency next year and does hold quite a lot of power at Fluminense as the, as the lawyer who helped them remain in Serie A after they were relegated in in, in 2013, helped them stay in a, stay up on a technicality when Portuguese fielded a, an irregular player, um, forced through the signing of Ronaldinho and um, I, I can't think of anyone who thought it was a good idea at the time and then we saw the inevitable and yet sad uh sort of implosion of the team. Uh, Ronaldinho did next to nothing on the pitch. Uh, it was a bad influence uh, to players off the pitch. He was he was seen smoking before training and and generally doing a whole load of things that you don't really want to expose you know, your youngest and, uh, and players with the most potential uh, to when, when, when you're fighting for a title and uh, potentially a title and certainly a, a top four place. Um, so yeah, after 17, 18 games, they're up there. If they, if they beat Vasco at the end of the first half, they would have gone top. Um, but the signing of Ronaldinho just brought the the whole house crashing down, and it was it was very very sad yet yet predictable. Yeah, and and you know what, we can't get away from Ronaldinho on the on these pods. And did I read recently he's going to Qatar or somewhere? Um, he's he's going to try again. I mean, his his brother's touting him around like you would a circus monkey. It's, it is it is quite quite literally depressing to watch at times. He's, he's no, it, it, you know, for for you know, there's absolutely no doubting what a player he was. But was as in past tense, and and that, you just feel it's not financial anymore. He's not bringing anything, you know, to the football side of things. It's it's just time to quit, and that sounds awful. He's not the oldest player nor, but for me, if I, it's just it's just that time, Robbie, isn't it really? I mean, it's absolutely that time. Yeah, I mean, he he was going off the boil at Barcelona. He 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 picked his form up in 2010 at Milan when he was trying to get in the the World Cup squad. Uh, didn't manage that. Came to Flamengo. You know, the one thing you remember for it, Flamengo is those those 45 minutes in the second half against Santos when he, when he scored a hat-trick and the side came from 3-0 down to win 5-4. Again, had a brief renaissance at Atletico Mineiro, helped them to the Libertadores, playing alongside uh, Bernard and Diego Tardelli. Uh, but again, you know, I think he had the 2014 World Cup in mind. Didn't make that squad, went off the boil, you know, spent seven or eight miserable months, I think, in Mexico. Um, came back to Fluminense, you know the same the, the same story there. Very little impact. May have flogged a few shirts, but you know um, the fact that you've tricked your fans into paying money for for what is a washed up star is, is lamentable, really. And uh, I, mean, I can't think of anyone in their right mind who would offer Ronaldinho a contract, even in Qatar or China or or, or, or the MLS anywhere. I can't see him being a benefit. No. No, he's bringing zero. And that pains me to say, because he's an absolutely wonderful footballer. And it pains you to see, you know, I think we saw the last of anything he had left 
in his time in, in Minas. I just I think once once that was over, that was the end. It, it really was the end, and that was the point. He should he really should have quit. Awesome yeah. for you. Would you would you would you like to respond there and add anything on that before you you go? Yeah, I think. Just an illustration of where Honolulu is at in his career right now is he can't even convince an MLS team to pay money to them. I mean, this is a league where Andrea Pirlo is making absolutely insane amounts of money. And yeah, Pirlo is a better footballer than Honolulu at this point. But if you can't even get an MLS team, a Chinese team, a Middle East team to throw money at you, I mean, there's really not that much left for him. I don't, I can't possibly see him ever getting another contract in Brazil with any side that's remotely close to the top division. Just because of how terrible this spell at Fluminense went, I think a lot of people had bad expectations. I don't think anybody thought Honolulu was going to come in and lead Fluminense to a title. But even how bad he was, I think, was almost surprising. Just he did nothing. There was literally no point in any match for Fluminense where it felt like he was a positive influence on the pitch for them. I think he played, what, nine matches and was just pretty much terrible in all nine of them. No, indeed. And it's just a shame to see such a talent you know, lumber around. It's, it's just, it, it, for me, it's just time to stop. You know, Austin. Is there anything else you want to, you you want to bring up on the pod before before we move into the top one hundred? I think we've covered uh, pretty much everything. I think the one thing we maybe haven't talked about enough would be the season Ricardo Oliveira has had this year. At age thirty five, he comes into the Brasilia down, and he's a leading goal scorer. He scores twenty goals in league play. He scores over thirty five goals, thirty six total in all the matches this year. Copa do Brazil, Brasilia down. In Palestine, I think he's had a really good season and he even earned himself a spot back in the national team. So I would just be curious to kind of see what you guys think about Hikaru Oliveira. How did he do this year? What were your opinions of it? Was it more him being talented or was it just he was in a really good situation with a lot of really talented guys beside him that kind of allowed him to have this really good run of form this campaign? Robbie, I, I, I'll let you go with that. You're a much more educated opinion on this than I am. I, I, I'll give you my thoughts uh, afterwards, but you, you, the floor is yours, Robbie. Yeah, I mean, I mean, not to be cynical, but I think that's more an indictment on the quality of the Brazilian league rather than the quality of, of Ricardo Oliveira. I mean, and to see him to see him back in a Brazil show, I mean, he's done very well, 20 goals in the league at Santos. He's going to win the Golden Boot. But to see a 35-year-old who's clearly in the twilight of his career back wearing the number nine for Brazil, I thought was 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 a... Was a fairly sad situation, and it showed the lack the lack of of depth of talent that that, that the Brazilian side are working with at the minute. No, indeed, and and you you know, and I know we we talk on Twitter about this, Robbie. It, yeah. it is an embarrassment to see him on the Brazil side, as well as whenever you see Dunga or Dunga selecting Kaká as well, and that's no slight on Kaká, wonderful player in his day. But what are we doing with Kaká in 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 the the, the squad? For, for World Cup qualifiers, while uh, Felipe Coutinho and Roberto Firmino are staying at home, and I, you know I only use those two players as an example. There's there's more than that, and it just to me there's no there's not a progressive head on Dunga at all. No, I mean I mean that's the one point that's been made made here in Brazil a lot. How to pick Caro over Coutinho it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. You know, um, Coutinho is, is not just the the leading light for for Liverpool or Brazil right now. I mean he's He's one of the best players, if not the best in form in, in, in the Premier League. Um, it, it just it just smacks of short-sightedness for, uh, from, from Dunga. Um, and you, you'd like to think, as, as we mentioned before, if Cheech or someone did come in, they, they, they'd open their eyes a little bit more and give someone of Coutinho's quality uh, uh, an extended run in the side. No, indeed. I, I don't know if you picked it up. Actually, um, his w- when when the squads were announced for for the last international break and he was talking about uh, Firmino not being included in it, and, you know, he, he actually slated him. It was actually horrible what he said. 
He played the guy out of position for the whole tournament of the Copa America and then turns around and said, you know, well, he didn't do enough in Copa America. It's like, yeah. wow, you know, you played him out of position. You played him in, in roles that he's just not, you know, not going to play as top of his game and you, you expect him to perform. I think it was a terribly, terribly unfair uh, comment that he passed. Yeah, I mean, I mean, leaving him isolated there on the wing. I mean, in that game against Paraguay, I mean, he was guilty of missing a missing a guilt edge chance uh, to put Brazil ahead. But I mean, he he wasn't in his best position throughout the entire tournament, and it was very difficult for him to get involved. If you want to see him at his best, uh, you need to you know, just take a look at what Klopp's done, play him in that false nine uh, alongside Coutinho of all people. And they, I mean, they look they look like they've formed an understanding already at Liverpool, and that could reap benefits for Brazil as well. Indeed. And Austin, quickly, what your thoughts on what's being said there? Yeah, I I think Kaká on the national side is, I mean, I guess so. I, I, to play a little bit of the devil's advocate, I guess the reason that Kaká is probably getting in the side is Dunga's thinking to himself, "Look, I'm not going to use all 23 players, so I'll give Kaká maybe you know a locker room influence or something along those lines." I don't think it's very smart, but I think that's probably what Dunga's thinking. But I think you guys are absolutely right. A player with the quality and the class of Coutinho or even Firmino could absolutely help this Brazilian side and. It would be nice to see those guys get a run. The thing that's difficult about the way South American football works, especially with World Cup qualifiers, is a lot of time there's not that big of a period to kind of tinker around and play around with formations in that because you're already right back in the qualifications for 2018. There's just not that many friendlies to kind of play around with. And then for whatever reason, Dunga wanted to be the champion of the friendlies. And so he's throwing out sides and he's winning friendlies 1-0. Which, okay, you you won, but it really doesn't help you whatsoever because you're playing the same old guys in the same old positions. So I was even surprised with that sort of mentality. And I think it's just more of an indictment on Dunga as a manager than it is a uh, more an information on who Colchino or who Firmino is as a player. But yeah, Kaká has no business being in the national side. Carlo Oliveira probably has no business being in the national side. But he's, I guess, kind of more of a stopgap because, as I'm sure we'll talk about, those young guys coming up, Gabi Gol, Gabriel Jesus, even Luan with Gremio, those are three really talented guys who maybe just aren't quite on the national team level yet, but they will be. And so Dugas kind of probably trying to mash a couple pieces together and make things work for now, hoping that he'll get the chance to display those sort of guys coming up. But yeah, Cochino and Firmino absolutely deserve to be in the national team side, and it's pretty ridiculous that they're not. Well, you know, at the end of the day with Dunga, nothing's surprising. You know, this is the man that uh, picked Diego Tardelli for, for the Cup of America. It's just to wind Robbie up, I thought I'd throw that one in there. <laughs> because he, he was a bit, of, a bit of an admirer going into the tournament. But listen, gents, <laughs> time's pushed on on us a little. And uh, I'm going to go to you. Uh, I'll come to you, Robbie, first for your pick for the for the top 100. Who who have you picked uh, and your reasons why? Yeah, it's another boy from Fluminense coming through coming through the academy. They sold they sold Kennedy to, to Chelsea in um in August. They just sold Jason to Roma, as we've talked about on this pod. And there's uh, another there's a central defender, Marlon, who's looked a real, real class act this season and, and the season before, in fact. You know, he's a he's a big centre half, he reads the game excellently, he's strong and he's comfortable on the ball as well. He looks like he's gonna be a, a real, real talent and someone I'm sure will, will snap him up in Europe before too long. I'm reading actually. Um, I think he's he's got a pre-agreement with Barca, I believe, uh, Robbie. He's been linked. He's been linked with a few clubs around the time that Jesse was linked as well. Yeah, I, I've read a few things about about clubs like Barca and uh, Bayer Leverkusen. I think he was linked with as well. Um, uh, uh, no. I, sorry. 
I, I certainly think there's a you know uh, there's a lot of quality there with the with the guy, and and certainly th- there seems to be a very very strong opinion that that he signed something some pre agreement along the lines of Neymar, if you recall, for, uh, with Barca. Um, to, to, to make sure that he stays there until their um, transfer ban is, is over and they have first crack at him. Right there, I mean, I think I think it, it would be it would be an excellent addition. I think it'd fit in very well at Barcelona. No, I can't really argue with you on that one. And Austin, who do you have for us and why? Yeah, I mean, Robbie stuck with his Fluminense side, so I guess I have to stick with my Palmeiras side. It's got to be Gabriel Jesus for me. I think a lot of the attention in Brazil is on the other Gabriel. That's Gabi Gol with Santos. I think mainly because Gabi Gol has played more first-team matches. He's probably a bit more advanced technically at this point. But Gabriel Jesus is going to be a fantastic player. He's only made 18 first-team appearances. But I personally think he's got a bit more potential than Gabi Gol. And we saw that potential a four-day span in the middle of this Brazilian winter. He scores a brace against Cruzeiro in the Copa do Brazil. Makes an absolute fool of Fabio in the net on one of those goals. And then he gets a brace against Joinville in league play the next day. Hasn't scored since then. But I really like Gabriel Jesus, and I think he'll stay at Palmeiras for a couple more years still. I think Palmeiras are in pretty good shape financially, that they'll be able to hang on to him for a little bit more. There won't be the rush to sell him. I think that'll be really good for his development. But yeah, it's got to be Gabriel Jesus for me. No, and, and I can't disagree with you. For me, I'm going to go and be really boring and pick Luis Suarez, because I just feel that uh, he is just... His, his, his ceiling has increased. He's just absolutely incredible this season. And, and, you know, some of the goals he's scoring, especially there in the Champions League and whatnot, he is in absolutely sizzling form and just breaks my heart watching him, uh, for obvious reasons. But, uh, there's, oh, he's just absolutely sensational at the minute and, and fully deserving of his place on the, uh, on, on the top 100. But listen, time has drawn on us, guys, as I say. And, and I'd just like to thank you both. Very, very much for your time. Uh, I know what, a few little technical issues at the beginning there, and I really do appreciate your your, your patience on it. Uh, Austin, your first pod with us. I'd, I'd just like to say thank you so much for coming on, and you're welcome back anytime. If you would, if you have any ideas or anything you'd like to do on WFI, come talk to us. We'll, we'll, we'll organise it for you. And certainly anything Libertadores, things like that, you want to come back and talk to us in the future, consider yourself invited. I'd love to. It's been a lot of fun. I've really appreciated it. You know, there's not a very big uh, English language Brazilian football community, but there's a couple of us hanging around on the interwebs, around Twitter, around wherever. And it's a lot of fun. I think, like I said before, it's a great league to follow. I really enjoy it. And I would love to be back on any time you guys would have me. Well, certainly we'll, we'll keep you in mind. And Robbie, yourself, again, thanks very much, mate. As always, it's a pleasure talking to you. And, and we look forward to whenever you get a, get a, a few moments away from that job of yours and putting together a, a list of players for us and come on and talk about Brazil again. No, absolutely. Always a pleasure to come on. And uh, yeah, I'll be on soon. Listen, that's fantastic. Before I go, is there anything you want to plug, anything you're writing at the minute? Uh, Robbie, have you, have you anything on the go that you're writing or anything you want to give a plug to? Do you know, just this thing I'm doing with you, I'm going to put together these uh, like top 10 uh, Brazilians under 22 that we're going to get together and talk about soon. Yeah, indeed. And, and we, we, ju- we just did one actually there on, on Belgium with, with a journalist from, from Belgium, uh, Sven Klaas was on. And it's a totally interesting pod. For me, it's a complete learning experience. Um, and as I say, I've got Chile lined up with Brazil lined up with, with all of Europe covered. And, you know, between, between Sam and James and myself, we're, we're making a lot of contacts and hopefully we can basically cover the globe here because quite a nice idea. Um, and I'll say really that's, that's, that's all I, I want to plug on. Austin, yourself, have you anything you want to plug? 
Uh, nothing major. Uh, I had an article up on the Botafogo Star that previewed the Copa do Brasil. Uh, that was a lot of fun to write. Uh, I said Palmeiras had to stay in, stay in it in the first leg, and they did that. So it'll be a really interesting second leg. Uh, just follow me on Twitter at Austin underscore James 906. Uh, you can always keep track of what I'm up to there. There's always a lot of things running around as well as everything going on here at the university campus at Northwestern. So a lot of things going on. It's a lot of fun. Uh, it's, it's a great time. Well, your life sounds a bit too hectic for my like, and you've been in people, you know how I live. It's like very laid back. <laughs> I mean, I it's, it's, a, it's a little different, but I, I take a guess. I'm probably, I might be a bit younger, so maybe I'll be able to keep up with it. Oh, well, <laughs> sure, sure, everybody's fucking younger than me in these podcasts. Stop it. Leave me alone. <laughs> Every time again, I'm, I'm bloody old. Jesus Christ. Right, listen, I'm going to really have to leave it at that. Um, I will say thank you so much for your time, gents. Um, we do have another pod coming up and will be out this week. Uh, I'm recording on Wednesday with Jonathan Harding, uh, the top 10 prospects uh, from Germany, which I'm really looking forward to doing and, and should be an excellent listen because Germany at the minute seems to be the place for, for, for up-and-coming talent. But uh, until then, uh, I've really nothing more to, to, to cover. So it just leaves me to say good night and thank you very much for listening. Until next time, goodbye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.